0: Welcome to the Daily Decision Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to men. Men who are tired of chasing and finding emptiness. Men who want to find true fulfillment in everything they do. In this podcast, you will learn to achieve success in the key areas of your life. Physically, emotionally, in family, and in business. Remember, It all starts with a decision. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Decision. I'm your host, Michael Chabot. And today we have the pleasure and honor of having Scott MacArthur. Scott MacArthur is, it says, workplace of the future speaker and employee experience expert. Scott is the embodiment of the so called gig economy. He has been involved in transformation programs in over 200 organizations globally, including Virgin, Amazon, KPMG, mod, and NHS, and had successful careers as a scientist and academic, HR director, business consultant, non-executive, and listen to this list, guys, British Olympic bobsled team, Orkney Science Festival, and I'm going to mess this pronunciation, but it's Burrowmuir rugby, (laughs) and a musical producer. He (laughs) He is now an international speaker. Conservation Ambassador at Twycross Zoo and Creative Director of the Whole Man Academy. Perhaps the biggest lesson that Scott has taken from this breadth of experience is that most problems are multidimensional. The issue is that people's experience tends to be one-dimensional. In other words, it's hard to understand a system of which you are part without understanding where your blind spots are. Scott believes that the person with the fewest blind spots has a better chance of success via better thinking and decision-making. Scott's goal from the speaker stage is to encourage cognitive diversity, which he believes will be doing the driving force behind the workplace of the future. One of Scott's virtual mentors, the author, poet, and philosopher David Foster Wallace, expresses his motivations beautifully. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is the water? Scott helps people see the water. Guys, please help me, help me in welcoming Scott MacArthur. Scott, I have to say that that is an amazing intro. Um, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you very much for asking me along. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, mine as well.
1: (laughs) Well done in reading all of that as well.
0: No worries. It was a lot and, and, and there's so much we're going to get into. And, and, you know, as you can tell, um, This is fun. This is why I love technology. I'm here in Southern California and and Scott is in across the pond, just outside of London, England. And, um, this is what makes the world great. So So, I love to start every interview with this question. When someone finds out what you do or where you're from, what's the question they always ask you?
1: Oh, (laughs) um, that's a really good question. Um, obviously I'm your listeners, uh, might be able to recognize a scottish accent um so quite often i get silly questions like have you ever met the loch ness monster (laughs) Uh, or what what do you what do you wear under your kilt um so (laughs) that's that's how sophisticated my audience is michael
0: (laughs) those are good ones i like those a lot
1: yeah
0: oh that's too funny you know (laughs) It, just within your bio alone there's so much good stuff um you know you talk about how people's experience tends to be one-dimensional and yeah. i I really think that's interesting and then you talk about blind spots do you mind if we just kind of dive in head first and and yeah. jump into that right here
1: yeah, of course of course. Um,
0: Cause I know we all have blind spots. So, so let's peel back the layers on that and go a little deeper. What do you mean by blind spots?
1: Um, Well, one of the things that became clear to me, and I'm not pretending I always understood this, Michael. Um, uh, I was working, um, as a HR director following my scientific career. And then I jumped into consulting with one of the big consulting companies, KPMG. Um, that then became Atos which is a, a, a large french company and um i very quickly realized that the people around me were nothing like me they were all they were accountants they were they were engineers they were it specialists they were marketeers, they were you know all different types that started this journey uh, me seeing that there were different ways of looking at things mm. but actually what happened i had to what um what I call a threshold moment. Um, it's a bit like when um, there's a there's a lovely book. A chap talks about being hit by asteroids you know, bang. And I had a I had a threshold moment where I was doing a I've done I've had luck and pleasure to do a couple of TEDx talks here in the UK. Mm. And the first one I did um, was in front of three thousand people, and I spoke about why facts don't change people. Now that's it was, it was OK. It was, a, it was a presentation and I'm used to that. That, that. that was OK. I enjoyed doing that. But the bit, the threshold moment was the dinner afterwards. Because I'm sitting in a hotel um, in Warwick, which is a, a town just outside uh, Oxford in, in England. and I'm surrounded by 17 world class speakers. Wow. And we're all talking to one another about each other's talks. So I was talking to um, an AI specialist, a nanobot specialist, an opera singer, a prison guard from California. I was talking to, you know, it was incredible. And I had this moment. Honestly, I, I went back to the hotel room with my partner, Samantha, and I went, gosh, you know, the feedback was incredible because they were all looking at my talk. And I was obviously looking at theirs, but from a different, through a different lens. And it was at that point, point. this is, what, five years ago, so I had all this experience before, and I had I'd, I'd seen it right in front of my face. But it, it took that threshold moment for me to really see we need to look at issues from different angles. Mm. Uh, and then I started what I call my, this is, this is where I get all my material now from, I go back into my life, and I, I'm an archaeologist of my own life. I'm looking for, you can see behind me all these artefacts, Yes. This, this sorry it's a podcast, doesn't work too well pointing at things in a video, does it? But there's, there's there's all sorts of things. There's clocks, there's figures, there's human specimens, there's hundreds of books, there's all sorts of stuff. And, and and these are all artifacts I've gathered from my life, and now when I speak, I tell stories about all these artifacts. So I, I will look at the organization or the individual from the perspective as an artist or from the perspective as a scientist, or from the perspective of a of a HR professional. So that's That's what I mean by, you know, cognitive diversity. And you never see it. Oh, that's not fair. You so rarely see it in organisations. And I've worked in over 200, nearly 300 companies now all over the world. And very few of them have any understanding of the value that cognitive diversity could bring to their organisations. In fact, they take it out of you. They recruit you and then they put you in what they call an induction programme. So they ram into you and I use that word deliberately if you're around in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. They yeah. ram into you how it is to work there. They don't ask you what you think. It's, it's, it's odd. So I mm. think it's, a, it's low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging fruit for organizations um, and for individuals just to see things from a different perspective.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So just yeah. for, for you guys listening, if you saw the the background where Scott is, it it definitely looks like an archaeologist's office or, or room. He's got amazing photos, tons of books. He even has a skull. <laughs> <laughs> so you have an amazing journey. And I love that you talk about being an archaeologist because you worked at Edinburgh in the pathology department. Yeah, at Edinburgh did, College.
1: Yeah. Uh, Edinburgh University, one of the oldest yeah. universities in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was. Um, I left um university with a degree in uh, biology and psychology.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and then, like most scientists, I ended up working in a kilt maker shop for two years because I couldn't get a job. That's great. Um, uh, one day I got a call and I, and I ended up working there for three and a half years. Um, and I studied um uh, arthritis, um, I studied Alzheimer's disease. And a little bit on uh, anthrax, and um, a little bit on the history of science. So I had quite a broad three and a half years working with a a wonderful man who's just died, um, called Professor Dougal Gardner, who's an incredibly important man in my in my life. Um, mm. So yeah, that was that was what happened. Yeah, mm. great fun.
0: So it's interesting. I would love not that I want our our discussion today to be about this, but. With your background, I'm wondering what your feelings and thoughts are about COVID 19 and what's going on in the world right now.
1: Um, that's a huge question, Michael. <laughs> I know. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I, I, if... I'm not a, vi- a, vi- a virologist, uh, yeah. a virologist as we would say, but um, I think it's exposed some things everywhere. Um, I think it's exposed the, the difficulty that. That scientists have in communicating science. I think it's exposed governments all over the world um, for not, not understanding the value of um, our frontline workers, our health workers, our, our retail workers, et cetera. So that's a more human thing. Um, mm. it's, it's been a, the thing that any, any scientist will tell you: COVID was not a surprise. I mean, no one in the scientific community was surprised by COVID because it comes every 10 years. It's not always COVID, but, you know, there's some, there is, there is always something happens every 10 years, roughly. But I think what has surprised me has been the, the, the reaction, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think some of it's been a pleasant surprise. You know, I think if you imagine the, the mortality rate, the number of people who die with COVID-19 is approximately 0.3%. Yeah if this had been another type of virus like the SARS virus, if it had been communicable via the, the, you know, the, the, the sneezing and coughing, that's at 60%. Mm. Now you imagine what would have happened if it had been another type of virus. So yeah. I guess um, it, it, it might help us deal with things in the future. Um, yeah. It's terrible. I mean, it, it just in the UK now we've had enough people have died to fill a football stadium, you know, and it's, um, it's ah, awful, tough. Yeah, terrible, that's... terrible.
0: So I want to, this is not on my list of questions, but it's a good transition from that. And I apologize, but I would love to get your opinion on this because I think as bad as it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, as terrible it is, as it is, I think that, one of the things that this time in our history, not just as a country here in the U.S. or in the U.K., it, as as a world population, we're yep. really realizing how many people can be controlled and live in fear.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right? Without a doubt. Without, without, yeah, without
0: a doubt. And with your experience, and I love that you said this, as being an archaeologist of human beings, right? And mm-hmm. What are your feelings on fear, on you know ways to move past fear deal with it you know one of the best books i ever read as a young man was it was called fear feel the fear and do it anyway mm-hmm. now obviously what we're talking about here is a lot different yeah. um but i would again i would just like to get your your take on your thoughts on fear and how to move past it cuz you're a guy who started out you were a scientist you know working at a college and now you speak for yeah. a living on stage yeah. that's some people's greatest fear uh, yes,
1: <laughs> it sometimes it's my greatest fear <laughs> um, I, it is, Covid is different to a lot of um, other examples of fear So for example, mm. there have been, and forgive me, I, I won't mention names But there have been some very foolish statements made by people in the personal development world About uh, just sticking up to Covid, you know, just mm. being tough, you know, being mm. macho Mm. Well, being macho doesn't protect you from a bullet no. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how brave you are If a bullet's coming at you and it hits you, you're dead um, mm. So that's been irresponsible And we've had some uh, quite well-known TV personalities Over this end of the, the world mm. Who have been deeply stupid um, mm. And actually have killed people They're not meant to kill people But because of their stupidity you know, I'm tough so I'm out, and I'm going to. I'm not giving in to this virus. Um, that is just deeply stupid. Yeah, um, I agree. so yeah. So that, that there is no, uh, there is no. But I think your question is deeper than that. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't. I know that's not what you're asking me. But that, that I, have, I have to say that because I, you can probably tell from my my voice, I, I get quite cross about this because I think mm. it's irresponsible. I think it's really irresponsible, and and taking responsibility. And I know this is one of your themes from your listening to your your podcast and and taking responsibility for things is really important. Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, and I think that, you know, personally, I, yep, I I read the signs. I saw the media. I looked at the number of people dying. I took it very seriously. But am I scared? Yes, I am. Yeah, and and I'll I'll admit that. But I think um, in in classic, again, personal development language, you choose how you then deal with that fear. You know, you, you can either internalise it uh, and it can destroy you, you know, that fear. Yes. And I, and I know from your experience with the, your unfortunate loss of your daughter that, that, that you went through that and you have a choice to make at that point. And, and I thought at the end of the podcast you did with Anthony from the Holman Academy, I was in tears, Michael,
0: mm.
1: listening to you guys talk about that because mm. it, was a, it was an amazing example of how important it is to to take control and you have a choice yeah now, I, have a, I have a very good friend who i've known for 30 years and um 15 years ago he succumbed to to alcoholism mm. and and chronic smoking and he basically destroyed his body but he's been living in an oxygen tent ever since wow he's still alive his whole life has gone. He's lost his house, his job, his wife, everything he had, and he's now living in a terrible, small, um, what do you call them council property or what you call them in the states, government-owned, like a block, you know, type mm. thing, in an oxygen tent, completely isolated from from the rest of the world. That was his choice. He he gave in to that. He didn't need to. There are people who have had worse things in their lives, physically, emotional, than he has had. But unfortunately, that chap, who's a lovely man, I mean, I, I love him dearly. He took that choice. He gave in to the fear. Mm. So I think, I think the, the, you know, you, you can choose your attitude to a point with these things. And I think that's how I would respond to your question. I'm sorry if that took me a long time to answer the question, Michael, mm. but that, that's how I would, I, it's about choice, but informed choice, mm. not, yeah. not blind choice.
0: I think it was a fabulous answer. And, you know, I, I do a solo cast as well called my journey to hope. And it was all about my journey from my daughter's death and how I got back to life. And as I tell people how I learned to survive and then, and then thrive again. And, you know, a friend of mine one time said, well, you're Superman. And I said, no, not even close. (laughs) And, and we had a conversation and, and, he was like, well, you didn't have a choice. And I said, no, no, you're wrong. I had a
1: choice. You you had a choice.
0: I I could have easily drank myself to death or like this gentleman you're talking about. I could have gone down that road and guess what? The world would have given me a pass because of what I've been through. Yeah. Yeah. But I decided, first of all, for me, for my two surviving children, for my wife, and of course, for my daughter who passed that I want to use my life to honor her and them and show them that this doesn't define you for the rest of your life. So, um, so let's talk about, um, you know, you sent me a video that I really enjoyed, which was about the wheel of life. Mm. Yes. Within that, before we get into the wheel of life, you talked about human resources, right? Or or resources, as we say here in the United States, (laughs) um, And not in the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you weren't talking about human resources in the sense of, you know, as an HR director, you were really talking about the resources we have as human beings, correct? I was,
1: yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, yes,
0: so would you mind elaborating on that? Because I thought it was really interesting.
1: Um, I think the, I mean, what is, I need to go back a little bit on my story on this, because it, it there is a bit of a backstory to it. Please. Um, I, I've been a... A, a lifelong, not quite lifelong, but 30 years as a meditator. Mm. And um, that has introduced me to all sorts of things that are out with my normal, uh, you know, this cognitive diversity, this, you know, diff- different types of people. Yeah. And I, I first came across the the idea of the Wheel of Life being linked to our internal resources in that context. hmm so I, I, I was 30 years ago And I was in a, a city in Scotland Called Glasgow Which I'm sure that most people will have heard of Yes, uh, and, it's, and it's true It's an interesting city <laughs> And um, it, it was interesting For a number of reasons Because I had been brought up In a, what we would call A working class family um, My uh, grandfather was in the Navy My grandmother uh, Was a, a, a kitchen maid my other grandfather was a fisherman, and my other grand my grandmother was a, was a cleaner. So that you know mm. that was that was where we where my my family evolved from. And it, as I was growing up, I ended up going to what you guys call college, uh, university, um, purely by luck. I think luck's really really important, and we could talk about luck for hours if you want, right? <laughs> purely by luck, I went to university, and um, I realised but only a tiny bit that there was more to me than than my history Mm. you know i i my history is important but it's not going to define my future and that sounds a bit tony robbins-ish doesn't it but i mean that's my i genuinely saw that and then when i came across the wheel of life about 10 years later and that was in the buddhist context so the you know the the upper and the the the, the underneath world you know you're looking at the sort of the, the inner work and the outer world as it's expressed. I think I started to get turned on. You know, mm. looking back, it's the only way I can I couldn't see at the time. I, I'm not gonna tell you lies and say, Eureka, I didn't have a Eureka moment, but I was starting to see, wait a minute, I have to engage. I mean I've got, you know, qualifications up to here, but I realized that, that didn't matter. It maybe opened a door or it maybe captured me with something, but it opened up that world of continuous development. And also across disciplines. Someone once said, across the magisteria. You know, so mm. I'm very inter- I- I'm as interested in the development of Italian art as I am in the understanding of the uh, Jewish culture. Or I'm interested, you can see behind me, if you can see these books, and there's books there about cell biology, there's books there about traveling across America, there's books that, you know, I, I genuinely, genuinely look for all these different things. And then you find a hook. And usually for me, it's an individual. So, you know, in biology, it would be Richard Dawkins or E.O. Wilson. In astrology, it would be, you know, Carl Sagan. In primates, it would be, you know, whoever, you know. So I've got all these, I call them my virtual mentors. As you said earlier, you talked about Wallace. He's one of mine, one of the greatest writers ever. Yeah. Most folk don't even know who he is, but he, oh, what a writer. (laughs) Um, And... I, I seek out these people and then I absolutely, it drives my other half mad, I forensically bring them into my world. You know, I, I i can talk, literally I could talk about Carl Sagan for 10 hours right now, I could do it off the top of my head. I could do the same about EO Wilson, I could do the same about, you know, Rush, or I could do the same about, you know, anything like that I can do because I, I really care about when I find them, I really grab onto them and take mm. as much as I can from them. Is that, I love that. Is that the answer, does that answer your question? I but
0: yes, it does. <laughs> but
1: yeah, that's why I mean, true resource, it's the human, the real resource. Yeah. You no, know, it's not. It's not about all this nonsense.
0: All right, so you sparked something for me that that I want to go to, which is meditation quickly, and it's not on my list. I apologize, but okay, I have discovered meditation in my journey since my daughter's passing and very quickly i'll tell you that i just never in my life before that thought meditation was anything but you know something that you know hippies did right (laughs) you know
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah and then when i finally discovered it the person that helped me discover it she was like look you don't need fancy fingers or you know special music or candles burning like this is what you need to do and i love meditation but i just I always love to ask people who are on that journey. How did you, how did it come to you and, you know, talk about some of the benefits that you've had with it.
1: Um, Well, again, I need to go back a slight step. Um, Please. I I, I was very, very skeptical. Mm. I I thought it was up there with um, crystals and that sort of thing. You know, I thought, I thought it was nonsense. Um, And in fact, 30 years ago, when I started, there was very little scientific research. It was a, it was in the domain of the of the the. I'm doing inverted commas here. Spiritual types, and I'm not. I mean, I'm a, I'm a evangelical atheist. Um, and um, so I I was at a, an event with us. It happened to be a Scottish chap called Jack Black, not the actor. <laughs> there's, a, there's a Scottish one. And Jack, I mean, these days I'm not as a follower of Jack so much. Um, but I was at one of his events, and uh, he taught us. A very, very simple meditation technique. Very, very simple. And the bit that, that hooked me, and I think this is the way I have to be persuaded, but I was in this meditative state that he'd asked us, there was a hundred of us in the room, and he, he got us into this state, he asked us to open our eyes, and he said, how long do you think you were in that state for? And I was like, oh, five minutes? It was half an hour. Wow. And I was like, oh. That's a bit interesting, right? So I then, again, as I normally do, I got into it anally and I I studied it and there's hundreds of different types of meditation and all the rest of it. And probably five years after that experience, I came across a chap who uh, introduced me to two things. He introduced me to the beat movement with Jack Kerouac, who's another one of my heroes, David Cassidy and these guys. And he was a Vipassana practitioner, which is one of the ancient forms of of, uh, meditation, which has been bastardized to the mindfulness movement that you get everywhere in the world just now, certainly in the Western world. And at that moment, I started to develop a daily practice. Um, And then over the the ensuing 20 years, I meditate every day, um, two or three times a day, actually. I do what they call a body scan in the morning, and then I do short meditative uh, moments, did one just 10 minutes ago. minutes ago, um uh, listen to some music because I I teach it now as part of my some of my work where I because um, I've got qualified and things now but I I will teach people to meditate to death metal or to or yeah because you can meditate to anything wow because uh, med- this is how it's 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 poorly taught in in, in, in the West because it, we we have all these bells and whistles and you could probably see behind me somewhere there's a prayer bell somewhere yeah yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I I teach people how to how to meditate in the Western environment, so you can you can meditate when you're reading, when you're listening to any any type of music, when you're making love, when you're on a bike, you can meditate when you're shopping, uh, and it's just understanding how to do it, uh, and what what that you know how it can be done, and it's very very easy, and the feedback I get from my people is I've stuck to it, Scott, because I'm not doing the ums and the ahs and the the spoke and the flame and all. It's not part of the Western culture, you know. So yeah. I think you have to like Alan Watts, who another one of my heroes, he 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 brought he was one of the first I don't know if you heard of Alan Watts, he's an incredible man. And he brought a lot of it to this this part of the, the world. Um and I think he he talked a lot about using sound to meditate and using words to meditate. And and I think I probably nicked that idea from him. I can't remember doing it, but I think I think I probably did. Um, but in terms of, for me, I, I can only speak from my own, I mean, I can speak from an academic perspective, but from my own experience, uh, what's it taught me? Um, you know what it's like? It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever smoked, Did you, have you ever smoked cigarettes?
0: Uh, ever very little, but I've, i got right. a lot of friends who are, I know what you're going to okay. say, but please share it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bit like a smoking break, right? I get yeah. the same buzz from it now, and it's almost got to the point. Um, that I um, I can't go without it, you know. It's like there's a, there's a fella over in your who's called Sam Harris. I don't know if you know Sam, uh, mm-hmm. he's a fantastic uh, neuroscientist and lifelong meditator. And he talks about you know how we can you know meditation can help you with your your emotional resonance and everything else. And I think that's probably true. But for me, it's a moment for myself. It's a moment to observe what's going on because it's just focused attention. That's all meditation is um and i and i enjoy that and i and yeah. i think it's quite good fun i get i'm mean, gonna I write poetry from it because if you're lying there in a meditative state and this weird stuff comes into your head write it down you know and you've got a poem you know so it can be generative as well so that's that's how i use it
0: yeah i think uh, first of all for for all the guys listening who aren't meditating you just heard it here you can learn to meditate to death metal
1: yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get some cannibal corpse on and, and you can you can you can learn to anything. It's about it's it's as simple as this. I can teach them now, right? Sit down, put on a piece of music that you like, and it doesn't matter if it's Brahms or Metallica, it doesn't matter. And listen to it. Just listen to it. And the, the point in the meditation is as soon as your brain goes away from the music, notice it and bring it back to the music. That is the meditative muscle. That's it.
0: Mm.
1: it, is, it, it, it there is nothing else to it. There's, there's some research that was done in the States about people when they're making love. I mean, people are making love, they reckon 16% of people check their mobile phones when they're making love. Weird. Yeah. But that's an example. You know, even when you're on doing that, we get distracted. So even if you're making love and you notice when you're making love, you're thinking about something else, hopefully not someone else, but something else, <laughs> um, bring it back to what you're, where you are. Be present with what you're doing. That is meditation.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's as
1: simple as that. It, it gets way overcomplicated. There's no need for it. There's
0: Agreed. No need for it. Yeah. Agreed. So before we move on, I just want 16% get distracted yeah. while making love to look at their yeah. phone.
1: They do. Yeah. Wow. They do they do that's terrible it's just one study so it's not it's not a fact but it's certainly there is evidence that, that uh, when they asked people it was a survey and they asked people and it was uh 16
0: the fact that even one person's looking at their phone while yeah. making love is is a problem
1: <laughs> unbelievable
0: <laughs> yeah yeah all right well i'm glad we you know we didn't we didn't have that plan but i'm glad we hit on meditation because it's helped yeah. me tremendously it has helped me so much. So I want to transition now to something I'm excited for you to talk about, which is the wheel of life, which Anthony and I touched on in our episode, yeah. but yeah. I would really love for you to break it down. So I'm just going to shut yeah. up and listen.
1: Yeah, this is a this is a tried and tested technique that is linked to meditation. Um, but what it does, it, it it's quite straightforward. And, I, and I'll, I'll role play what I do when I do this from the stage. I say to the group okay get your notepad out write down six things that are important to you you don't have to share them with anybody else you know just write them down or think about them um, and I'll probably say to them you know everybody says certain things so we're, we're autonomically that, that means we're automatically programmed to say things like partner and family and you know we are and it always comes out, your, You know, I I actually did this in a high-security prison in Scotland once, and I asked them, and you know what they said? Honesty, family, community, teamwork. Right? Wow. These things just—I call that my Johnny Cash moment because it's literally three hundred murderers and uh, rapists. I'd say murder at some point on your podcast, (laughs) Uh, but it was. So uh, back to the so if you, you write them down and you see the three. I call it radically honest, Mm. right? Don't give the BS that you think people think you should focus on, right? So people, you know, in the UK, they would write down things like uh, politics, European Union, all this sort of stuff. Rubbish, right? You've got to get them to think about what's really important to them. And if it was me, you could probably guess it's education and learning. Mm. It is my family. It is my health, mm. it is money, yeah, and it is music. So there's some of mine, right? Ah, yeah. well, then say, okay, guys, um, let's have a bit of a, a bit of fun with a metaphor here. Imagine these half a dozen six points you've just thought about, they're all important to you, but imagine they're on the spokes of a wheel. And I, and I think if you look at that that video, I sent you can see I draw that on a, on a blackboard for them, yes, and I get them to and I say, in the middle. In the middle of the wheel, there's a zero. Go through each one and mark where you are on that wheel, that scale, on that spoke, zero or 10. Now, if you're at 10, you're probably mad. You know, you're probably just as bad at 10 as you are at zero, but let's have a go. So they go around it, and what I normally do is, and I did in that video, I role play it, and I go around and I do, how am I feeling today? I have been doing that once a month for 25 years. Wow. Right? And it changes all the time. Um, some of the life coaches out there who have never done any work in their life, they're just professional coaches, I've never done it. I, I mean, I'm not a big fan, but they say, oh, they usually have crystals, and they go, you know, you need to have balance. Well, I don't believe you do need to have balance. You need to have the appropriate focus. Yes. Yeah? Um, and what it does is, I mean, Anton and I, the other fellow you interviewed from the Holman Academy, we do this together in the gym. You know, Mm. how are we doing on this? You know, the pie of man, we call it. You know, how how are we doing? You know, what's the key things right now for the whole man academy that we need to focus on? And that's how we do it. That's our strategy development technique. It is, so it can be used as a company tool. It can be used, I prefer it as an individual tool. But it's fascinating though, because the one finding that, that, it still surprises me, people tell themselves lies when they're filling in their own wheel of life absolutely and it's crazy and i say to them is that really the truth is that the absolute truth and they go yes and i say right share it with me if you you know give one and let's have a chat about it and you can see them you know they don't want picked they don't want me to interview them live because they know that i'll smell it you know i'll I, i'll <laughs> stop that they're bsing you know they're thinking oh my, my my husband might watch this and i've said sex isn't important or i've said you know drugs and I, and I also get another thing i do michael and i don't think i did it in that, i can't remember in that video but i also ask them what are your dark values mm. everybody goes because we, we never talk about the dark things the dark side this is where the yin and the yang the the, the, the original the thinking behind the wheel comes in because actually that's just as important because they are expressed in our behavior so it could be Um, you know you're you're you know strongly driven by money and it's too far you know it is everything to you and that's a negative it's important absolutely but if you are this type of person who needs that gratification from status or from sex actually sex is another one it it can be drugs it can be all sorts of things
0: Mm -hmm. everybody
1: has them i mean people who say they don't have any are not telling the truth agreed you know they are not telling the truth and and to get them to have that inner work to think about it what i've seen in my you know 25 years of doing this is it's a transformational process
0: i love that yeah it, you know while you were while you were speaking I, I was brought to my own life because prior to my daughter's passing i was a success and money chaser it was everything to me status yeah. was everything to me and one yeah. when, when i lost my daughter i realized first of all when you're a success chaser, and, and we can talk a lot more about this, but when you're a success chaser, it's never enough, yeah, sure. right? You yeah. always say to yourself, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when, when I when I hit this milestone or when I have this many zeros, and then you get there and you're still unhappy, Absolutely, right?
1: absolutely. They call it the, the hedonic treadmill. Mm, I you like that. The, you're always trying to keep up, you know, and 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 you can never. It's why um, if you look at the lives of 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 like rock stars, pop stars, yeah, a lot of them who come from the this more working class backgrounds, when they get to the, the top, they can't cope because they're always looking for you know the next step. It's like that, you know, if you've seen that that Motley Crue uh, film. Where they're all, you know, poor guys who suddenly become mega famous. Lots of girls, lots of drugs, lots of booze, and then the whole thing implodes. Mm. And and if you look at the history of music, right back to Johnson, you know, back in the twenties, right through to now, um, a lot of these kids die. They don't get to thirty because they can't. They keep trying to keep up, and they want. I'll just go up to coke, and I will maybe, maybe go to heroin, and then I maybe try crack. And I'll maybe, you know, and, and they keep going because they, 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 nobody's pulling them back to stop them. And that's why they call it the, the hedonic treadmill. And in Buddhism, um, which obviously is powerful in the meditative space, mm. they talk about satisfaction as being one of the, you t- said earlier about fear. Absolutely. But another driver is, you can't, it's like quoting the Rolling Stones in the same breath as saying,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I can't get no satisfaction. It's actually a, 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 a Buddhist-like statement. Mm. you're always trying to get over more and more and more and i think it takes some age length of time i think it takes wisdom to look and say whoa stop Mm. and people who don't press the stop are often the ones that end up with terrible problems and it doesn't matter how many zeros are how senior they are um it does not matter it doesn't matter
0: Yeah. I I heard it said once, like people become rock stars and they become famous actors because they say, well, when I have my name in lights, you know, people will love me then (laughs) they'll love me then they'll love me then. And it's never enough. And while you were talking, I was thinking it goes back to a theme that I talk about a lot because it was my own experience. I know why I was always feeling this way because I never did the work on myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, there's a guy he he's he's a Navy SEAL, US retired Navy SEAL David Goggins. I'm sure you've heard of him. I know him.
1: Yes, I know him.
0: Wrote an amazing book and he's very over the top, but he has something that he calls the accountability mirror and it goes back to yeah. what you were talking about is looking in the mirror and being 100% honest with yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: About yeah. your shit, pardon my language, right? I
1: know no, that, that makes sense. That makes
0: sense. And and so I think, and I would love to hear you talk more about it. And by the way, I'm loving this conversation, but <laughs> I, I think it's, so I. it's so important to take a moment uh. and figure out like, what am I lacking? Where, what is missing inside? Why do I have this feeling? Because let's face it, right? The reason we're chasing money, success, women, drugs, alcohol, mm. it's because we feel inferior inside.
1: Yes no I, I agree and you even see it in the in the personal development world i mean i uh, i know a lot of people uh, and i respect him for the work he's done with, with charity Tony robbins is a good example where he pushes people to be successful mm. and i get that to a point but there does become a point where that's not good you know it, it, it it's the wrong it's like um um, I mean, you could talk about goal setting there's a, there's a problem with goal setting as well people always say you need goals but people die because like people have died on everest every year yeah. because they, they they won't give up their goal um and actually it needs to be sensitively done and it needs to be carefully done and i think that and there isn't enough of that um certainly not in the uk you know there there isn't enough um, of informed personal development you know Personal development for people who have have had the jobs, have had the experiences, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, honestly, I'm not having to go at Tony Robbins. There. I, I do admire him, and I think he does a lot of great work. But I just think sometimes these guys uh, push so hard that it all becomes a cult, and and people don't they don't become you know The law of attraction doesn't work, and therefore people think, "Oh my goodness, I'm a failure." Well, that's not true. But, the, but they're almost programmed to think like that. And I think we need to be much more sensitive and gentle and careful about that I agree. type of thing. Yeah.
0: Well, well, and it's because I think in a lot of ways, personal development has become a fad, right?
1: Oh yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And you can't develop unless you go inside <laughs> yes. and do the hard work.
1: Yeah. It's tough. You know, it's it tough. is, it is. Yeah. And,
0: And I, you know, it's funny through my transformation of losing my daughter to where I am today. I had a, I had an epiphany where I said, you know, she gave me such a gift. She really did. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, it's been a blessing for me as a husband, as a man, as a father, because she forced me to do the work. Yeah. Right. To, to go deep inside. And I love that you brought up, you know, personal development and goal setting and, you know, um, the law of attraction, you know, somebody that I follow, I love that he said, he goes, you know, look, you can do all the manifestation and law of attraction and meditation and vision boards. He said, but if yeah. you don't subscribe to the law of Goya, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and the law of Goya is get off your ass.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I've heard it before. Yeah. I, it, it is, uh, I'm not always great at it either. You know, I, 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 sometimes I get stuck in a thought you know, and I uh, I, I remember um, I was writing a book. I got a book deal with one of the big book companies and mm. I wrote 160,000 words and didn't publish one of them because I didn't like it. Wow. You know, I had to find myself. I had to find my own words. And that sounds quite arsey, sorry to swear, but it it does, it, it, I, I was almost like regurgitating 20 years of learning not, I wasn't copying I wasn't plagiarizing but I was when I read it I went that's not me mm. you know, if you read that book you'd go that wasn't Scott if you knew me and you read it you'd go that's not Scott so I said to my publisher I said no not ready you know mm. we need to think about this and we're going to do it we're going to do it but you know not ready yet Let, let's come back to it and we'll, we'll do it properly um, and I think that was because I'm I, oh, I hope I'm more aware of what's going on inside than I was.
0: Yeah, I
1: hope.
0: I, I love hope. that. Um, and I think that, you know, I was thinking about this. Is is I think a lot of it is, and Anthony and I discussed this as well when when I interviewed him, which is, you know, most of our programming that we get is up till we're about seven years old. But up until that point, right, we are doing the inner work. We are in touch yeah. with our hopes, our wants, our dreams, our desires, and then society. Yeah. Tells us how to Um, think, who we should be, how to feel. Yeah. You know, obviously, we could talk for 17 days on this subject, but I just want to, you know, (laughs) just kind of get your feedback on, especially for men. And we're going to transition into the whole man academy, but Mm. especially for men, because we're taught from an early age how to be. Don't, don't, men don't cry, don't have feelings, don't emote, don't this. This is your job. Go charge the hill. Go yeah. sacrifice for the good of everybody else. Yes, right?
1: yes, yes. I, I remember um, it was quite a another threshold moment for me. I was only I was only fifteen, mm. and we have I'm, I, I'm sure it's a similar role in schools in the US, but we have these people called careers advisors. Yes, who you go along to, and they say, you know, this is this is the options. So I at that point was. Confused. I, I knew I liked science, I liked biology in particular. Um, and I walked into this little room, and this little woman, little insect-like woman, was sitting there, and she she said, So, Scott, um, are you going to work in the metal works or are you going to work in the the woodworks, mm. local industries? Ah. And I looked at her and went, No, you know, I, I she said, Well, everybody else is. And I was like, well, I'm not, you know. And I said, I, I don't want to work there. I, I, you know, so I remember I went and the luck was I had a grandfather who h- had been in the steelworks, but he'd been in the navy, so he'd been all around the world. And he said to me, Do not listen to her. You know, just get out of here. Get away. Mm. And that's why I went to university. It was purely because um he said to me, and that's why men are very important to me. My male mentors have always been very important to me. And he be, can I swear? Can I say, can I, can I use you the swear, You swear, please. What he said was, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And I did. Right? And if he hadn't done that, I'd probably be dead. Or I'd, or I'd be back there with nothing. Um, yeah. Steelworks are all closed now, so all those people are out of work, you know, and mm. it, it's, it's a, uh, it, it but it's so hard there was in my um i don't know how it translates final year at high school so when you guys graduate from high school we don't graduate yeah. but yeah in that year there was 130 people in my school in that final year and four of us went to university wow four. Wow. Right? so and everybody else stayed local now, hmm. There's nothing, nothing wrong with where I grew up. I'm not having a go at where I grew up. I wouldn't do it. Well, I would, but I, I, I have no need to. It's all right. Yeah. You know, it's fine. But I think you need to get away, you know, uh, to to understand yourself and where you grew up better.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, and I think my thank goodness my grandfather swore at me and told me to get to get the, <laughs> to get <the laughs> <dodge>, out, know? <laughs>
0: I'm glad that, that he he loved you enough to be honest with you, right? Uh,
1: me too, yeah, me too. Yeah. Very lucky, Very lucky.
0: You know, it's interesting um, because in the United States, it's become completely the opposite. And I don't know how it is there in Europe, but here in the US, there are no more trades. You know, when I was in high school, uh, let's see. I graduated high school in 1987. So when I was in high school, we still had wood shop. We still had metal shop. We had auto shop where you learned how to work on cars here in the yeah. United States. Trades now are looked down upon.
1: Yeah. yeah right. Yeah,
0: it is. It is. I,
1: there's, there's, Sorry. I, I have to mention this again, because there's something in this that, that, Carl Sagan, that if people haven't heard, I can't say his name very well. Uh, since it's in Carol, uh, Carl no, no, Sagan, who Carl Sagan, who, yeah. yeah, yeah, who did the Cosmos TV show and all those other things, he said in 1985 in Glasgow. Actually, I wasn't there. I, I didn't. I had never heard of him then, but he said that he feared for the day when the United States had a society based on engineering and science where no one understood it. Mm. You have it today. He got it right, and yep. that's why you have i don't want to get into politics but you have trumpistan and all the nonsense about disinfectant it's ridiculous and it's because societies and uk is not quite as dd uh, manufactured as as the states are but it is bad Um, and it's taken away but you still live on it but you don't understand it and therefore people look at it without a sensible lens they look at it through a a lens that's ill-informed. And that's what Carl Sagan was was, mm. was really worried about. And he, unfortunately, he was right.
0: Well, and, and you know, we uh, we don't want to go too far into this, but I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I have a college-age child who's in college. You don't hear parents saying, well, you know, my son or daughter decided she wants to be a welder and she's going to welding school. Yeah. Right? People only yeah. brag about the schools they got into and their GPAs and... Yeah. You know, I tell my kids, sure, go to college, get an education because it's good for you to be educated. Yeah. I want them to be entrepreneurs. I want them to be free thinkers.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing that I was, I I didn't even know what the word meant. (laughs) You know, it it was not on, on my radar. It was, you had to get an industrial career. You had to follow a path. You you had to get the step, 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 retire. Yeah. That's what everybody does. I remember a friend of mine. Uh, I wouldn't name give him his name, but he'll know if you listen to that's who I'm talking about. He joined the. He told me when he was 21, he was going into the police because it had a good pension. Mm. What do you say to a guy like that? You know, yeah. uh, you know, it's like being from Mars. You know, but but that's how he was brought up. He was, you know, your life is programmed, your your journey is programmed. And, these are the types of people who don't leave their hometowns, never even go on holiday anywhere. You know, they, they just don't see the value in it, and and a lot of them are happy, so good for them, you know. But I, I, it certainly isn't for me.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that you made a great point, which is a good transition out of that. Which is the sometimes I've heard a lot of people say the key to happiness is remaining curious, right? Curiosity, feeding your brain's oh, curiosity, totally. exploring awesome. outside of your comfort zone, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I, I had a mentor in that space, my grandfather again, because he, I think it's because he was in the Navy. He, he was so curious. And what, I remember one time, it, it's quite sweet, and I'm sorry if I get emotional, because it was it was a big moment for me. Yeah. I remember it was, in, it was in, I can even tell you the year, it was in 1983. And I had, uh, he, he lived about two miles away from me, and I used to walk uh, from the, there's a valley called the Clyde Valley, and I used to walk in the Clyde Valley to his house. And I walked into his living room, and here's a man in his seventies, and on his turntable, he had an album on, right? And I'm going, do you know the the the, the you know, White Snake? You know the, the band White Snake, who course. became like a, a terrible hair metal American band, but before they became a terrible hair American American band, they were a they were a they were, were a tremendous British blues rock band. Right? Yes, and they had an album called dating the Love" that the live in the heart of city. The city, right? It's a great live album. And here's my grandfather listening to it, and he said, "You've been talking about this album for about two years. I had to listen to it." I, mean, I love that. How could I fail, not to become a curious person when my grandfather did that? You know, and of course, that has led on. Mm. I now do this with my kids. You know, mm. I and, and I think my eldest son is twenty one now, and um, I of course indoctrinated him with with music. You know, I, I just indoctrinated him. Um, but you know what the best bit was? Mm. It was when he started to invite me to his gigs, mm. which I now go to gigs with him. Right, love that. I, I've always taken him to my gigs, so he's seen ACDC, he's seen you know Pearl Jam, he's seen you know the bands I like. Right, yeah. but he's now pulling me to gigs that are his gigs. And I'm the oldest guy in the room, and I fucking love it.
0: Absolutely,
1: I, you know. And I think to me that that curiosity, and I mean, music's just a case study, isn't it? But but that was my grandfather. He taught me that. It was. Uh, I've never told anybody that story before. That's the first time I've ever told anybody that story. But it is it's absolutely true. Absolutely true.
0: I love that story. And your yeah. grandfather taught us all an amazing lesson, which is. Step out of what you know, what you like, and your comfort zone, and be open to learning yeah. about other things. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless if he hated it or not, he opened himself up matter. to it to yeah, experience. I mean, he,
1: was a, he was a Glenn Miller fan, so it really was quite a jump. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: But that's such a that's such an amazing moment for all of us, especially as men, to yeah. open our minds to. Be open to new experiences, new things. It. Yeah. it uh, thank you for sharing that. That's a really great story. All right. So before we run out of time, we have to talk about the Whole Man Academy. Yeah. 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 So tell me first and foremost, just give my listeners who haven't heard my episode with Anthony, just give them you know the the quick sixty second pitch of what the Whole Man Academy is, and then let's talk about how you got involved.
1: Okay. Very simply, the whole academy was an idea uh, by a guy called Anthony and a guy called Matt to create a safe space, not in the, the, the safe space tech, the, the sort of way you hear it in some environments, but to create yeah. an environment uh, for guys to come together to talk. Simple mm. as that. Um, yeah. That then, um, over the last 18 months, um, I, I, I got to know Anthony about uh, two years ago. So I was part of it, you know, I was there when he was having the thoughts about it and what they were going to do. And of course, I'm a professional speaker, so he was always asking me, could I come and speak and all the rest of it? And I thought, I quite like this. Um, And then we got talking about, you know, how we can bring. And of course, I was programming, I guess, about cognitive diversity. Yeah. Uh, So you had on the one hand, you had a BBC news editor. On the other hand, you had a a, a, a banker in full recovery who was now a personal fitness coach. That's not covering all the different aspects of the pie of man. So I said, mm. "Well, I'll get involved," and she said, "Yeah, why not?" You know. So, so that's how I got involved as a creative director. Um, so we are quite. I think we're, we're lucky. Again, we've been lucky because we've got a group of guys now who you know you get me in the sort of scientific and uh, big business side of it. You've got uh, a guy called John, who's looking at the sort of foundations of mental well mental well being. Mm. Uh, got a guy called Robin, who's one of the top journalists in the UK, if not in the world. He publishes in the New York Times, etc. He's a, a top guy. Um, so we've got this lovely mix of, of cognitively different you know, intellect intellects, sexualities, uh, families, all sorts of mixes in there. And I think it's a real powerful potential uh, as an idea. I'm yeah, Delighted to be part of it. Absolutely delighted to be part of it.
0: Well, what I love is it just goes back to really everything we've been talking about today, which is, you know, our programming as men as young men, what we're told a man is supposed to be, how to act, what to do. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. And listen, I'm not taking anything away from women because we love women. They're amazing. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Fantastic.
0: But it's a lot of pressure being a man today. It's
1: this it this it I mean one of one of the things that I I had a I've got a problem with that I think we need to stand up to. Is the whole notion of what you might read in the media as toxic ma- masculinity? Yes. Now there is there is no doubt that toxic masculinity exists. You know, you just have to go to a football, what you guys call soccer. You, know, you go you a football game, and you see, you know, toxic ma- masculinity. Not always, but you do often see it. But the issue is, um, if you label uh, a sex as toxic, it starts to take on that label. Absolutely. So actually it's really damaging to, to, to have these movements that are, are, are rubbishing men, are you know, saying that men are terrible and you no know, no they're not. <laughs> you know, no. we're not we're not perfect, but hey guys, neither are women. No. You know, so you know, so it, 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 it for me certainly it was a reaction to that, you know, because yeah. I I am I am, you know in no way the perfect man, you know, I make tons of mistakes and I'm pretty useless at certain things um just speak to samantha she'll tell you um but um you know i think having that space to talk about you know this is how i feel about that Mm. and we do it in a non-judgmental way so we've had guys who quite frankly are on the edge you know they, they are talking nonsense but they believe what they're saying and we give them the space you know where you know it, it's an opportunity to share what you're thinking and then learn from each other. And I have to say, I think it's really powerful, and, it, yeah. and it's working. I mean, it's working. It's definitely.
0: Yeah, working. I mean, we we need more of it. Um, yeah. it's yeah. important. It's um, and and you know, it's it, there's a lot of pressure. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Oh. And I think it's great what you guys are doing.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. That's yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I to see that. So. Before we wrap it up, I just want to ask, because how did you go from scientist to all the things you've done to become a professional speaker? Like, when did that happen? How did it happen?
1: Well, the the transition out was was reasonably easy because um, making a living as a scientist is very difficult. Mm. Um, It's not well paid. Um, Tenure is something that you don't, I mean, this doesn't happen. You're going from contract to contract. And i I decided at the end of three and a half years that i I couldn't I just couldn't afford it you know um, it was it was very difficult so I came out and I was a lost soul for you know 18 months I, I didn't know what to do with myself and to this day I have moments where I think was it the right decision I think it was but you know I still miss that environment. Um, sure then through some luck and some happenstance, um, I ended up going into a company who, uh, one of the big uh, utility companies here called british gas um they needed somebody in their pe- what they called personnel department which is the human resources department back then yep. uh, someone who was numerate and, and because i was numerate i did i was a, a decent medical statistician i knew my, my data i got the job and it just developed from there and that got me into uh, you know, 10 years later i was a, a hr director for a couple of major organizations Mm. Then I started to see, um, I got bored with HR because it was a non-evidence-based profession, which for a scientist is difficult. You know, yes. it, it, um, I wasn't a good administrator. Uh, I didn't enjoy the legal aspects of it. So I thought I'm getting out of this. Um, then KPMG offered me a job uh, to run, uh, well, that's, that's a bold, to go into be senior in one of their, 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 their practices. Um, that got me into dozens of companies. I soon learned that I wasn't an HR guy anymore. I was more in transformation and technology. That developed. And then um, about nine, eight years ago, um, I was in charge of a, a unit there, going all over the world. We were, we were making about £100 million a year wow. for, for the business. Um, but I realized then I was, in effect, killing myself because I was working every hour, God sent. I was traveling. I mean, Quite literally was one experience. I was working in Beijing. I worked on the Olympics in Beijing and I was working in Beijing and one day the phone rang and it was my boss, his name is Andy, and he said, Scott, I need you to come back to London to do a pitch to one of the telephone companies. I went, Okay, when? Now. So I had to get on a plane, fly from Beijing to London, writing the pitch in the air. I landed, got out the plane, into a car, got to the, 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 the company, did the pitch to the airport and back to Beijing oh that, would ha- that would happen to me every month you know I'd be I was I worked in uh, uh, Santa Monica for a while I worked in um, Calabasas for a while But I was always I was jumping around all over the all over the world and I realized a friend of mine died and I thought that's not happening to me so mm. I came out I gave up the corporate thing I didn't want to do it anymore I just said no. I'm not doing it anymore uh, came out and had a few years doing odds and ends of consulting and then about four years ago, um, somebody said to me, look, you're a great speaker. Why are you not speaking? Yeah, And I was like, oh, right, okay. So I thought about it, had a chat with Samantha, and that's how I became a professional speaker. Um, oh, yeah. And I absolutely love it. You yeah, know, It's it's a, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to do it. Um a bit more difficult at the moment yeah it is it's a
0: great
1: it's a great way to, to get messages out there and hit big stages and big audiences and really make a difference so yeah that ticks the boxes for for me at the moment
0: i love that you know it's <laughs> i say this a lot i always use the iceberg as a metaphor and, and and your life and your career leading up to being a speaker is really that right you don't see all the work that's below the surface of the water. No.
1: Not at all. But I mean I haven't mentioned it, but I just like to mention it. I've mentioned music quite a fair bit. And the story about the musical, right? Yeah. I you probably see there's albums all around me here. <laughs> yes. You, know, you can see like I've got albums on the wall all over the place here, right? And um what happened was I used to keep all my concert tickets. And one day I was looking at them and I thought, I need to do something with these concert tickets. And I had about a thousand concert tickets. They're downstairs now. And I wrote to one of the newspapers and said, look, what do you think of this? And they published an article. Wow. Right? Then a friend and I were talking about a place where ACDC recorded a live album in Glasgow. Let's do a website. So we did a website. A million people went to that website in three days. Right? Wow. we, then, we got a book deal. We got a, we got a TV a film deal thing we got. And then one day a guy came to me and he said, why don't we do a musical based on, on the website and the stories that you've gathered? So we did a musical and 12,000 people turned up. Wow. You know, so it was it was a nothing. It was, it was a fan piece of nonsense. And we're now in the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the books of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I never made any money from it. It was not a money-making endeavour. But my goodness, it was brilliant. You know, and it just, you know, you can, you you can do stuff, you know, even if you think you've got nothing, Mm. other people are out there that that are interested in what you do. and There's always something. There's always something.
0: Scott, it goes back to where we started. It's fear. A Uh, lot of people are afraid. Yeah. Afraid, not afraid of what lies outside. They're afraid of being judged. I agree. What what are people going to think of me? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely Right.
0: And I tell everybody the moment that you experience freedom is that moment. And I use it as a metaphor is when you take off your mask yeah. and you allow the world to see the real Michael, the real Scott. Yeah. I agree. Right. All right. Totally All right. So a couple of questions before we wind down here. So I can't wait to hear you answer this one. So what other profession, what profession other than
1: your own would you like to attempt? I would love to be an astronaut. Wow. I, I would, I would do anything to be the first man on Mars. it mm. uh, that, that is the. I'm interviewing myself a, a chap called Robert Zubrin next week, who is the the advisor behind Elon Musk's uh, Mars uh, yep. plans. I'm actually interviewing him next week. Um, wow! So, uh, it, I, oh God, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do it.
0: I don't have a doubt that you'll make it there. I don't know. I just, I have a feeling you'll be there.
1: (laughs) I'd love that. I I would be first, but you never know. All
0: right. What, what are you not very good at?
1: Uh, I am really bad at dealing with money. Mm. I, I am, I, I still, I, I'm okay at the front end. So I'm good at negotiation. I, I can, I can negotiate my fee very well and and very powerfully and i get my fee but i don't follow up so cash flow is my biggest weakness um Mm. so i need somebody to look after me in that respect because i'm not i'm not going to get good at it it's not it's not going to happen you know so that's my biggest weakness
0: you know and i love that you say you you understand you're not going to get good at it so you bring somebody in to do it for you right yeah that's smart it's funny because recently i was talking to a guy who's a business genius and and we're talking about like all these things technology you know how to grow your business and i said what if you're not good at it and he goes hire yeah. somebody i just yeah. hire somebody
1: <laughs> yeah. um richard branson doesn't fly his own planes right you know you, you go you, you just got to you've you, you've got to think about it sensibly and don't waste time you know it, it'll, hold, it'll hold you up and um what, one of the things Antony and i do with the whole man academy him and i are ferocious learners we're always trying to learn Mm. And we're on the phone every day to each other saying, what did you learn today? What did you learn how to do today? And it might be as simple as learning how to use Anchor to the podcast or learning to how to set up a YouTube channel and make it look good or how to do a little E on the iTunes to say that we swear in our, our podcast. Or it might be mm. you know, tiny little thing. But for me, that's enough. I and mean, I think I, I, if I go to bed at night and I can say to myself, I've learned something today I didn't know this morning, I'm happy.
0: I love that. I love it. All right. So uh, where can my listeners connect with you online? Where can they find you?
1: Um, I have a couple of places that it would be nice if they could have a look. Um, My uh, YouTube channel is uh, the Scott MacArthur, The Workplace of the Future. Um, That is quite new, um, but I'm, I'm quite happy with how it's developing. And on there I do lots and lots of videos, little, I call them espresso shots. They're just little videos, like two, three minutes with a lot of the things you've heard me talk about today. So little stories that maybe extend or go deeper. And you'll find out there why I've got a skull behind me. It's one of the stories is <laughs> about that skull. <laughs> so that's the first place. Uh, the second place uh, would be on Twitter. Um, Twitter, for all its faults, is the platform for exchanging ideas. Mm. It's second to none. There is nothing comes close to Twitter. I mean, Reddit is probably second, but I don't like Reddit. But Twitter, Twitter's the best. Um so that's Scott uh, at Scott underscore MacArthur. Okay. Uh, on They're my two favorite platforms. At my website's scottspeaks.me. and of course the Holman Academy website is uh, holman.com.
0: We'll make sure we put all that information in the show notes. And you thank know, you. I would say is first and foremost, thank you so much for being here today. The the information you shared, the stories, the insight. I mean, it's been it's been a really fun. Interview and I'm really Thank grateful to have met you. Um,
1: you. likewise Lightwise. I
0: I I like to end every interview with this question, which is, "What is the mark you want to have on the world?"
1: That's a beautiful question. Um, that comes from a poet called Rilke, rena maria Rilke, who wrote about, "It's not the answers, it's the beautiful questions," and that's a beautiful question. Um, I would like to be known as the guy who cracked the cognitive diversity thing who mm. persuaded companies that they need to have a head of biology in the boardroom or a head of art in the boardroom. You know, I'd like I really would like to think that I could influence enough companies from the keynote stage to say, do you remember that Scotsman who told stories and swore at us, let's let's have a go and see what happens. And see if we can be more creative as a consequence of that. Mm. And that would generate, I would love to be known for a, a particular key performance indicator. I don't like performance indicators, but this is the one that I would, oh, I'd love to be known for this, that every company in the world has this as a measurement and it's a return on humanity.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Right, so that to me would be as a legacy I would love to be associated. I mean, it's not, other people have mentioned that it's not sourced in any individuals or anything like that. So it's not owned by anybody. And it's owned by me, mm. but I would love to be the guy that folk, a bit like Simon Sinek did at the start with the y. I mean, Simon Sinek didn't come up with that phrase. It's no. not his, you know, but I would love to be the guy who people say returning humanity. That's that Scottish guy, Scott MacArthur.
0: Mm. What a great answer. And, you know, I'll leave you with this. I read a paper years ago that was written by a Harvard uh, business school graduate and he said, mm-hmm. you know, in his in his thesis he wrote about what they teach you and the differences between now and let's say 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he said 50 years ago at Harvard Business School they taught you how they groomed you to take over a corporation and the most important thing was how can that corporation give back to the economy in which it runs right into that neighborhood and society how can they better the area of where their business is yeah now they teach you is how do you drive the stock price higher yeah how do you get more profits so that fits right in line with what you're talking about
1: it does and it challenges it and it it really if when i when i work with chief executives i say to them you know that's what i'd like you to think there's another one i use as well but i always say to them you know if you focus on that you'll go to bed at night feeling better than you do at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And invariably they, they, they do, you know, they think, Oh gosh, I wish i thought of that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's gotta be, my buddy says it best. It's gotta be people over profits. And, oh, every uh, time. Every I time. I think we're, I think we're seeing that now in the world today with, you know, we're we're going to go full circle. We started talking about COVID. I'm not going to get <laughs> into it, but it comes back to what we're experiencing now as a society, as a planet is that what we realize is, Human beings, human relationships, human lives are the most important thing.
1: Oh, but that, that, that I've got to say it now. That my, the other KPI, and I've only got two. The other KPI I got from a guy called Tristram Harris, who writes in the technology world. He's a, he's a software engineer and programmer. And I've extended his idea, to, and it's this whatever you're doing, whether it's at home or at work, it, it must be this it must be time well spent. Hmm. And I think if you have time well spent and return on humanity in your business, that will focus it on the right things. Yeah. And that, you know, is about people. Yeah. It's about people.
0: I love it. That's a, it's, we can't end it better than that, guys. So, again, Scott, I, I just want to say thank you. Um, I could talk to you for hours. This is amazing.
1: Thank you. Really
0: enjoyed your time today, and uh, guys, if you if you enjoyed this, you know, like it, share it, um, tell your friends about us. I will have information where you can hear Scott and where you can find more of his stuff. And as I always say, it all starts with a decision. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Daily Decision. If you like what you hear. Please do us a favor, share it, like it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it, and remember, it all starts with a decision.